0: to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment, to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding.
1: What's up, guys? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. hope you guys are all swimming in the awesomeness that is Monday or the middle of the week or the end of the week, whenever you're choosing to tune in. I'm so excited to be introducing my good friend on this week's podcast, Miss Aaron Files. So a little bit of background on Aaron. One, I've been trying to make this episode work for a while because Aaron has not only helped me in profound ways to remove a lot of the, quote, head trash from my life, the beliefs, the patterns, the stories that have stopped me from being who I want to be and have stopped me from really shining unapologetically with the confidence that I need to go accomplish things I want in my life. But she's a product of her own formula. So Aaron has always struggled with judgments, with feelings of not being good enough, with depression She tried everything to get rid of those things. She tried courses, therapies, but despite changing her habits, thoughts, actions, nothing seemed to work. But after a three-year battle with pain and depression and constantly not getting what she needed, Erin discovered the magic formula and got herself out of her own way. And not only was this formula uncomplicated, but it generated long-lasting results for her. And that's what we discuss on this week's episode. So as the founder of the MindFix group, Erin shares her process with entrepreneurs, high achievers, really anybody who's interested in losing those patterns, beliefs, and sort of anxieties around why I'm not enough to help them get unstuck. But how does she do it? And one of the things I've loved about this episode, and I'm going to share something. So, really, there's two elements of personal development, right? There's stuff that you can learn. Like if you don't know how to be disciplined, if you don't know how to work hard, if you don't know how to to have the habits and all that stuff, that stuff's important to learn. But there's also the other side of things, which is almost like the stories, the beliefs, the reason why you think the way you do in the first place. Most personal development focuses on the former, which is, oh, go do the meditation. Oh, go do the habit building. Oh, go do this or add more or learn this, read that book. But what Aaron's philosophy really hinges on is not adding more, but removing. By unraveling, by rewiring the beliefs that already exist in you that have led to self sabotage and disappointing results. And as a result of her work, the Mind Fix Mind Transformation Program has had a 96.1 success rate. So, I mean, Erin is the real deal when it comes to fixing beliefs and getting rid of all of the constructs and stories that stop us from being who we want to be in our lives. And This episode was so illuminating. Um, Not only did we dive deep into how beliefs are made, the role that feelings play in how our beliefs are made, where beliefs even come from. Really, I mean, by shining light on all the different angles of beliefs, I hope that this episode inspires you to create a permanent shift in your life and free yourself from the limiting beliefs that stop you from living in choice, from living in freedom, from living in that beautiful space of possibility that comes from you not getting in your own way. So I'm super excited for you guys to really hear Erin's brilliance and for us to go down the rabbit hole on this conversation. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart um, and I cannot recommend Erin and her work enough. If you're interested on what MindFix Group does, Erin gives all of her contact information at the end of the podcast and I encourage you to reach out to her to let her know how this podcast helped you. I encourage you to reach out to me to let me know how this podcast is impacting you Come join the conversation inside of the Stay Grounded community. Go to rajana.com forward slash Stay Grounded. I'm going to be creating a lot of content during the week that talks about things that I personally learned about the episode and how you can leverage all of the things you're learning in the podcast to implement and create a life that you love. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this one. I'm so grateful for all of you, and I'm excited that we get to learn how to get out of our own ways together with the amazing Miss Erin File. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stay Grounded. Oh, man. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, I am. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Aaron.
2: (laughs) Hey, Raj. Hey, Raj.
1: Oh, I'm so pumped for this. We've been trying to do this for a while and I can't even count the amount of rabbit hole conversations you and I have had off the mic. And so I uh, am especially grateful and excited for the chance to have one on the mic so that I'm not the only one benefiting from all of your amazingness. So thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I introduced you in all of your awesomeness, so we'll skip the boring details. I'd love to one, define I guess, a playground that we can start to play inside and explore. And one is, I remember a little while back, you mentioned this to me, this very quote, and it always stuck with me. And I've always kind of kept in the back of my mind as I'm going through and, and just living my own life. But human beings act on what they believe to be true. Remember you mentioning that one quote, and that started a very interesting journey for me. So I was hoping you could potentially start there and define that quote. What do you mean by it? And kind of let the rabbit hole go where it's supposed to.
2: Yeah. Human beings. We all act according to what we believe to be true. You follow someone over the course of the week and you watch what they do and you watch what they say, you're going to see actions and you're going to hear them say things that are in complete alignment with what they actually believe. So we can walk around and, and say things, but at the core of it, our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors aren't random. We don't just randomly do things. We don't randomly say things. We don't randomly feel things. At the core, beneath all of our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors are our beliefs. Very simply, I always like to use a simple example of someone who believes that cats are dangerous. Because like someone believes that cats are dangerous... And they're walking down the street and they see a cat and they have a belief. They believe, to, they believe it to be true that cats are dangerous. The thoughts that they're going to have are going to be like, Oh God, I'm in danger. This is not okay. Yeah. The emotions they're going to have, anxiety, fear, and then the actions they're going to take. They, maybe they run away. Maybe they, they scream. Right. So People act and feel and think according to what they believe to be true. You take that same person and knock them over the head with a magic wand and you extract that belief and they no longer have that belief. And the next day they walk down the street and they see a cat walking towards them. Suddenly the thoughts are completely different. There's no thoughts of I'm in danger and this is bad. The emotions of anxiety and fear are no longer there. And the actions are going to be completely different. Perhaps the person just walks right by the cat. So. A lot of times we, we focus on trying to change our behaviors. We try to change our habits. We focus on trying to feel different things and, and we really try to change the thoughts. But underneath all of those things, it's it's our beliefs that are the seed and, and our thoughts and our emotions and our actions sprout from those seeds. And that's why um when you really, really get down to it, And you look at the parts of your life that that just aren't in alignment or where there are resistance can be so useful to say, okay, what do I actually believe? What do I actually believe? Not what are the thoughts that are coming into my head and not how not what do I feel and what am I doing? But what do I believe that's causing me to be stuck in these areas?
1: How does someone differentiate between a belief and a thought?
2: So thoughts sprout from beliefs. So if I'm on a, a phone call with a client and the client goes, I don't like the looks of this contract. My thoughts might be, I did it wrong. Oh, They're going to be upset with me. This isn't okay. This isn't going to work out. I'm screwed. They're kind of um, observations. They're in the moment. They are fleeing. reactionary. Reactionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're reactionary. They're judgments of what's going on underneath that, a belief would be, I'm not capable. I'm not competent. I don't do good work. People don't like the work that I do. I'm not successful. They're almost statements about ourselves or how the world is. And from that, we go off into different uh, situations and we experience different events. And those beliefs, those simple beliefs, act as lenses through which we perceive the events. And the, the thoughts usually are judgments about how those events occur to us.
1: How are beliefs made? I think it's important for people to understand, because I want to start shining light on this word belief from as mm-hmm. many different angles as possible. Right? We have the thoughts. So the thoughts sprout from beliefs, right? Like if thoughts sprout from beliefs, then what causes beliefs to exist?
2: Some beliefs are formed from trauma. So you can have a a severe traumatic event. Say, you know, if a woman gets assaulted and it's an extremely uh, horrific traumatic event, you know, there could be the belief that I'm not safe. Men are dangerous. That might sprout from a traumatic event. Luckily, we don't sprout beliefs as we go, you know, and our beliefs don't change as we go throughout our daily lives. Otherwise we'd be in complete chaos. You know, if you were walking down the street and a red car passes you by and you're like, oh yeah, all cars are red. like That just wouldn't work, (laughs) right? That just wouldn't work. So oftentimes, beliefs are created from repetition. So when we experience something over and over and over again, when someone acts in a certain way to us over and over and over again, we're pattern recognition machines. So we take these dots and we kind of draw a line through it and we're like, well, this person is, kind of mean to me every time they see me, this person is just rude. This person is a mean person. So there can be beliefs that are uh, created from repetition of experiences. But a lot of the beliefs that impact us and that hold us back and that cause us problems are actually uh, created early in our childhood. A lot of our self-beliefs about who we are are created by the time we're say five or six. And then there's some other types of beliefs that are then created by the time we hit our, our early teenage years. So when we're a child before the age of six or so, we're, we're walking around and our brains are in a theta state, kind of like a, a hypnotic state. We're highly suggestible. It's almost like we're walking around and our, our brains are sponges yeah. and we've got a microphone attached to it. And whatever the caretakers and adults in our lives are saying and modeling repeatedly, we kind of absorb that and we start to create these rules and programs or beliefs about this is how you exist in the world. So, in order to survive, we have these biases that require us to really believe that what our parents are doing, like that's how you live, that's the truth, this is how to survive. We also are in egocentric states. So that means that whatever is going on in the world around us, we think it's because of us. So Mm -hmm. if a woman is screaming at us and we're a young child and she's like, you're awful and you're horrible. And you're, this is, you're, 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 you're just so selfish. We assume that's happening because of us, because we are awful. We are selfish. We don't have the ability to step outside ourselves and go, Oh, that woman's dog just got hit by a car and she's going through menopause and she was just divorced and she's having a really rough week. And that's why she's yelling at me. There's, we're not capable of doing that. So when we're young, we believe what our caretakers are telling us and we assume that what they're doing, like that's how you live. And then we also assume so much of what's going on is about us. So this leaves us really susceptible to have beliefs like I'm not good enough. I'm not important, I'm not capable, I'm not lovable, that we pick up just from the from the events that are going on as we're growing up. And those get kind of lodged into our subconscious
3: mm.
2: and they get locked in. You ask, you know, how do beliefs get formed? One of the requirements for most beliefs is that we are absolutely certain we've seen it in the world. So when I ask someone, how do you know that you're not good enough? And I ask them to go back to an early age. They'll say, well, I I saw it because my dad would tell me that nothing I ever did was good enough. I Mm. saw it because I never got good grades. And we really, truly hold on to beliefs because we think we saw them in the world, right? We think we've seen evidence of beliefs in the world and we get tripped up. Because sometimes we forget, no, I actually just saw an angry man yelling at me. But when you're a child and you're you in this egocentric state and you think it's, everything's happening because of you, a belief gets formed.
1: If you think about it, like you get a bad grade, right? As a child, if you don't have the prefrontal cortex to logically go through this and figure out all the different alternatives on why you got a bad grade, you're going to ask yourself, why did I get this bad grade? And immediately, if you're in an egocentric state, it's going to be, I am stupid, or I am not smart, or it must be something that I did. And then that forms a whole new range.
2: That's the other thing, too. The question is, why? Yeah. Every kid all the time is asking why. So we go around, and when we experience everything in our life, we're like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And so the beliefs get formed because... We're in an egocentric state. We think a lot of things happen because of us. And then we listen to what the adults in our lives are saying about us as well.
1: I guess this is a, a deeper, bigger question, but like, like, how could you prevent this? For, like, is there a way you can speak to a child that would prevent a belief a neg- or a belief that's so debilitating in a way from being formed in the first place?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So kids want three things. They want attention. They want acknowledgement and they want affection, right? It's like attention. Look at me, look at me, right? They want acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. You did a great job. And they want affection. They want love. So the most powerful thing that any adult can do when interacting with a child is ask the question, what is the child taking away from this interaction? So to give you an example you know, when I was a kid, I remember I'd go up to tell my mom something. I'd be really excited. I'd be like, mom, mom, look at my drawing. She'd be on the phone though, right? She'd be talking to her friend. Now, if my mom had done, shh, go away, shh, I'm on the phone, shh, 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 go, stop, go, right? And kind of shushed me away. And if that was something I experienced repeatedly, but all I want is attention and acknowledgement, what am I as a child going to walk away feeling? It's, it's, I'm going to come to the conclusion. I would ask, why is mom treating me like this? And the conclusion, because it's got to be about me is I'm not important, Mm. right? Now, moms can't always stop their phone calls, right? Whenever a kid wants to show them something. So you can ask the question, what is my child going to take away from this interaction? And you can tweak, you can tweak things. It can be, Hold on one moment. That is a lovely drawing and I'm excited to talk to you about it. And I will I can't wait to look at it with you after I'm off the phone in 20 minutes. And I love you and I'll see you soon. So you can still take five seconds and you can share that you are important and I'm excited to look at it with you and I love you and I will be with you. And so suddenly the, the the sprouting of a belief of I'm not important can't really happen because you're sharing, you are important and I love you. And I, I am going to pay attention to you. Kid may not like it. I guess right? like,
1: yeah, it's like hurt people, hurt people. Right. Cause it's, I'm, I'm starting to recognize even in that way you just described it, right. Like the space of the two moms or the two separate scenarios, right? Like the mom's probably not even consciously reacting the way she is. It's her beliefs, that have been cemented around why this call is so important because it's making money. And if she doesn't have money, then she's not adequate and it's feeding her own insecurities. Right. And it's just kind of spreading this, this, this world.
2: One other thing too. So there's, there's the belief element, but there's also just the state of our physiology too. So there are people who have done tremendous amount of self work, but the state of, of your physiology and how your mind and your body are also impact your activity. So if you, you can have someone who's done a ton of work on themselves, but if they've been eating a like high sugar diet and they haven't been sleeping and they're not meditating and their stress bucket is super full and they're kind of in a fight, flight free state, it doesn't matter if they've done all this self-work on themselves. If they're in an agitated reactive state, that could cause someone to be like, Shh, stop, like Little things become big deals. And yeah. that's why self-care, in addition to all this work about your thoughts and your beliefs, like basic self-care and meditation and eating right and exercise and getting the proper sleep, those things are important too because when you don't take care of those things, all the work and all the, the that you do on yourself, it doesn't matter if you're in a highly reactive state.
1: I feel like I just heard two things. So you have your, your, the logic behind how a belief is made. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, I, I get that now. Like there's the logical piece of like beliefs are formed during a certain impressionable time where we make the wrong assumption really, or uh, a naive assumption about what's happening because of the viewpoint that we have on the world. Right. But that doesn't change it from being real to the child. Right. Like, or who wh- wherever point that was made, like to that child, like this was real because they felt something. Right. So like, I guess it's there's like the logical piece, but then there's the feeling side too that I feel like cements this in place in a way. Like, yes. like I guess like so can yes. you talk a little bit about like I guess what role do our feelings actually play in the creation and maybe even the destruction of some of these beliefs?
2: Yeah. So our feelings are actually byproducts. They're secondary, they're required for belief creation. So for a belief to be created, there has to be an event, like the mom, you know, saying, shh, go away, go away. Then there has to be, the child's going to ask why, or we're going to ask why, and there's got to be an interpretation. What does this event mean? And that, the, the interpretation that's given to the event is what then determines the emotion that gets felt. And those three things combined create a belief. So that's where if a child had the capability of going, oh, mom's just stressed, this isn't about me, you wouldn't have an emotion of sadness or, or feeling bad, right? The emotion comes after an interpretation is made. So the mo- emotions feel real. It's like, I feel like I'm not important. And that's how I know I'm not important. The emotion is just a byproduct of the interpretation that any human gives to any event. And that's why it's so powerful to be able to go back and imagine past events and give them different interpretations and go, oh my God, I would have had a totally different emotion at that time had I seen the event in a different way.
1: Mm. Walk me through this because I'm trying to understand this myself. Like if I feel, let's say in that age or in that time frame, I didn't understand. And so my body made an interpretation of something. Right. So like I made an interpretation of this person hurting me. Therefore I became sad. Or and that created beliefs that then caused a lifetime of emotion that are not desirable. Are you saying by simply changing the interpretation, all of the emotional responses go away? Changing the original interpretation? So if I go back, right, yeah, Mm -hmm. I guess like like if that's that's yeah, it's like the interpretation of that event. Mm -hmm. If that original interpretation didn't happen. Pretty much what you're saying is I would not have any of the fear, anxiety, bullshit that that piles on from from believing that to be true.
2: Related to that one particular belief. Absolutely. So if I had had a an aunt at the time. Who, every time I got shushed by my mom, came over and said, She actually loves you. She actually loves you. She thinks you're important. That's an important phone call. She's just really stressed that the shushing isn't about you. She's going to hang out with you later. Right. So I interpreted the event as, Oh, oh, mom's just busy and we get to hang out later. And she still loves me and I am important. I would never have had the feeling of I'm not important. Right. And when she shushed me on the phone, it wouldn't have occurred to me that I wasn't important. I wouldn't have created the belief I'm not important. And so I wouldn't have gone on the next year and the next year with a lens over my over my eyes, seeing the world through the lens of I'm not important, which then impacts how events occur to me.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm starting to recognize this is why someone can't just be told that they're smart.
2: They because can't because just- they think they've seen evidence. They, they are convinced, they saw in the world proof that they are not smart. And if you think you've seen it, if I show you an x-ray of your broken arm and then someone comes along and goes, your arm isn't broken, it's really hard to believe the person because you swear you saw it, you know? You might even believe it.
1: Like, you know, you might have certain instances, like if I believe that I was stupid back in, you know, the third grade, but I've done a lot of smart things in my life you still may have those feelings of inadequacy because the original interpretation still stands. You may have years of credibility looking like, I got all these grades. Look, I got this job. I did this. I did that. But I still feel like I'm not enough because that original interpretation still powers the belief.
2: You carry that belief. Like once the belief is created, like let's say it was the third grade and your report card in the third grade, that belief gets created. It literally becomes like a pair of glasses over your eyes. And as you move forward in life, all the different events that you experience get filtered through that lens. So even when you get straight A's in eighth grade, it's through the lens of I'm not smart. And it's like, well, that's because I had to study five times as long as everybody else. And because Miss So-and-so really liked me, so she gave me the A and I didn't actually deserve it, Right. We interpret everything still through, the, through that original lens. And that's why you hear people when you give them congratulations or you say, you're a badass or you're awesome. Well, no, I just got lucky. No, it's this, right? You can hear they're trying to like, create a reality that aligns with their original belief. That's why it's so hard as a part of them still is holding on to it and is convinced they know that that's true.
1: It's the reticular activating system, right? Right. Like you just see what you want to see. So if you made an original interpretation, you're gonna do everything in your power to prove that original interpretation to be true. Mm -hmm. And it's just going because it's now it's there's the emotions behind it. It's like it's the identity piece of it too. It's happened so many times, you almost feel like it's a part of you. And it just it makes it tough. But I love the the focus on going back to the original point because Mm -hmm. then nothing else matters that you're just going to the root cause and freeing yourself from the root cause. That's what creates a domino effect of Mm -hmm. then you doubting every other instance of it. And that creates freedom.
2: Absolutely. It opens up an incredible world of, of possibility because every time you have a belief, you really are locked inside of a box and you're limited in terms of the, the actions that you're going to take and, and what you're going to feel and the thoughts that you have. So sometimes people are scared that if I get rid of a belief, if I get rid of the belief that you have to work hard in order to be successful. they'll let, They're like, I'll never work hard. But that's not true. Like once you get rid of the belief, you simply get rid of the box. You still have the option and the choice every day to work hard, as hard as you'd like. But you're not forced into the box. It's not a compulsion. That's not the only way you can live. Perhaps you can work smart some days. Perhaps other days you can take days off without any guilt. You're not locked into a certain way of being when you get rid of belief.
1: That's both super freeing and also somewhat terrifying.
2: Why terrifying.
1: Just the infinite possibilities. Like there may have been certain beliefs in my life that have created a certain level of success, a certain level mm-hmm. of competence, a certain level of identity, maybe values mm-hmm. or relationships. So there's almost that fear. Of, if I lose something that created so much amazingness in my life, will my life still be amazing?
2: Ah, I love that. I love it. So the cool part is when you get rid of a belief and I said, you know, you have infinite possibility, what you're actually getting rid of is compulsion And the requirement to only act and think in a certain tiny, small way. So I've worked with people who were perfectionists and the perfectionism got them far, you know, for a while. But when you have a belief that the only way to be successful is to be perfect
3: Mm.
2: and you live in that box There are no options outside of that. You can't do 80% and then delegate it to the team. You can't send an email off without proofreading it three times. You can't give a talk up on stage unless you've rehearsed it for three months and you don't skip a single word. You can't get on a podcast and just jam like this because, oh my God, it's not going to be perfect. You are locked inside a certain way of being because you have a compulsion. The way to be successful is to be perfect. And people might go, I don't want to get rid of that because I, it makes me perfect. It makes me work hard. It's gotten me to, to the job that I have now and it's why everybody loves me. But you pop that belief off and it's not like you're suddenly floundering going, I don't know how to be, I don't know how to act. It simply takes away the compulsion yeah. and the drive to always 100% of the time have to be perfect. Otherwise you feel awful. All you have when you take away the belief is the choice to sometimes be 90%, the choice to sometimes be like, this actually isn't important and I can just hand a rough draft over and they'll take it and run with it. The choice to get up on stage and just speak from your heart instead of having something memorized piece by piece. You have choices to do these things. You don't have to choose them ever if you don't want to. But you get to go through your life and each day go, is this a good use of my time? Is this a good use of my energy? Do I need to be perfect here? Well, you know, and and you have choices instead of compulsion and a mandatory way of being and thinking and, and doing.
1: Choice is delicious. Mm-hmm. I'll have that for dinner and lunch <laughs> and breakfast. Yeah. Why have you chosen to make this your life's work?
2: I saw how incredibly rapid change could happen. When beliefs were worked on as someone who struggled with so much through my life with, with depression and never feeling like I was good enough and going to therapy and struggling in school because I I skipped and I was always younger than everybody else and everything always felt tough. And I tried so many things, books and seminars and coaching and therapy and nothing really seemed to work or make significant changes. And when I started playing in the world of beliefs, I saw that instead of trying to change my actions, which were informed by my thoughts and my emotions, instead of trying to brute force change what I thought, which never really changed how I felt here in my heart or changed how I tr- what I truly believed, instead of changing the thoughts and the emotions and the actions, I saw that when I was able to change a handful of my beliefs. Things that I had been working on my entire life for decades changed in a matter of of hours or days without any effort. So, for example, I played, I, I've been in into athletics my whole life. I always played sports. I played really high-level soccer, love snowboarding, mountain biking. And yet, even though these were my passions, I'd often make myself miserable when I'd go out. I would go mountain biking with people and the whole time I'd be like, I'm not as fast as this person. I'm not as fast as this person. I can't keep up. I can't descend as quick as this person. It was just a constant judging of myself. I'd go snowboarding and I'd be working on tricks and stuff. And I'd be focused on who's watching me from the lift. Did they see me fall? What does that person think of me? I couldn't even go out and enjoy these, these things that I wanted to do. I never felt like I was good enough. And I was always embarrassed and ashamed. And it really took away from my ability to enjoy my life. Yeah. You know, here's what I love to do more than anything else. And I would come home crying half the time because I was beating myself up. And I didn't, I never figured out a way to get around that. And yet, you know, I work on a handful of beliefs about being good enough, about judgment, about rejection. And suddenly I noticed that, oh my. God, I can go out on a bike ride and enjoy the company of other people. Oh my God, I just went snowboarding for a day and I didn't have a single judgment against myself and I enjoyed it. So I started to see like how quickly and how rapidly and how easily these shifts happened when you just pulled on some of these threads of the beliefs and how my thoughts changed, my emotions changed, my judgments changed. What I did changed with, with very little effort. And when I saw that combination of, it doesn't take a lot of work, the change happens really quickly and it's long lasting. It just felt like I stumbled upon this, you know, cave of diamonds of, 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 amazingness. And it was like, this has to get out to the world because there's so many people like me who have been trying to change for decades and who are stuck. And if people can find out that you can actually have rapid change when you, you look at the root cause of why you're stuck, instead of trying to cope with things and learn tactics and change your beliefs, or excuse me, change your thoughts and, you know, do this, uh, you know, catch yourself if you're black and white thinking and all the stuff you're supposed to do, the elegance of simply being able to pull out a few beliefs and then experience the change and the relief from suffering that you're looking for, I, I just, there was nothing more beautiful to me than that.
1: Mm. I love it. Uh, you said something in there that made me very curious. How do you know which beliefs are true?
2: How do you know which beliefs are true?
1: Is it as easy as choosing the ones you want to believe? Let's say I'm sitting mm-hmm. here, right? Maybe I might even answer this just as I'm talking, but like if I'm sitting here and I've got a belief around something and I don't have a negative response to it, does that mean that it's true? Like, I, I think like, it's like, you know what I mean? Oh, like. Yeah.
2: I got you, I got you.
1: There can be some beliefs that I have that are actually very harmful that may not have a negative response to them, right? Like it may be hurt other people. It may be detrimental to my business. It may be like, so how do I begin to get the blinders off of things that don't necessarily have a trigger feeling to them?
2: Ah, such a good question. Such a good question. If we try to sit and like come up with a list of beliefs, that's really hard. Like that's just, that's hard work it doesn't necessarily create a lot of change. What you want to do is work backwards. So instead of going, okay, I got to work on my beliefs. You think about what the patterns are in your life that are not working for you. So that could be, you know what, every time I get on a call, I can't talk about money. People start asking me about budget. I can't talk about money or I'm terrified to have difficult conversations And I can't grow my business if I can't sit down and talk with my employees because I always run the other way. I procrastinate. I put it off. Or every time I get up on stage, I am convinced that I'm doing a horrible job. And that is not allowing me to become a better speaker. So what you do, the first thing you do is you figure out where there's areas of resistance or where there's parts of your life that just are not working for you. You, that's a, you find a, a pattern. Yeah. Sometimes it's thoughts. Sometimes it's feelings. And sometimes it's behavior or lack of behavior, like an avoidance. So what you do is once you know an area of your life that's not working, like I'm unable to experience gratitude or I can't be happy for other people. And I really think that that's holding me back from connecting, whatever it may be. You take that pattern. And from that pattern, you ask yourself, what would I have to believe to be true in order to keep experiencing this over and over? And once you, once you ask that question, you're able to brainstorm probably a cluster of beliefs that are holding that pattern into place. Those are the beliefs that you want to work on. Because we are made of millions and millions and millions of beliefs and going after them haphazardly and trying to clean out random ones, that's a, a party trick. And that's like, it's like busy work. It doesn't do anything. What you want to do is go after the beliefs that are going to impact and remove a problem area or a problem pattern in your life so that you actually experience the change that's going to give you relief.
1: One of the things I just noticed you, but the way you even described it was that you are aware that this is Mm -hmm. the thing that's causing you strife. If I'm going about, I'm living my life, right? And let's say I have that belief that was created by this egocentric child and I've carried that with me throughout mm-hmm. my entire life that it's me, me, me. It's always me, everyone else. It's, 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 it's like, let's say I get into a situation where let's say I'm dating or I'm constantly doing things and I'm consistently not finding the right person, right? Like, how do I switch myself from even thinking that, oh, this could be a belief within me versus everything else around me is not working. Like it, it's almost like you have to take a level of ownership for this to work. Right. Uh, like,
2: yeah. Like it, you have to. It's so true. That's actually why when, when I started the business, instead of just saying I can help everybody, I was like, I want to help entrepreneurs and high performers and high achievers because they typically are already at a place where they take ownership yeah. and responsibility for what happens to them. And they go, I know that what's going on here in me is impacting everything else. To work with someone who has more of a victim mindset, where it's like the world just sucks. Everybody around me is awful. Why can't everybody change? Why is my wife so bad? Why are my coworkers so awful? And everything, um, when people have that external locus of control, yeah. Instead of the internal locus of control, it's a lot of work to just get somebody to, to pull away the beliefs, <laughs> yeah. to get them to a place where they can experience change. It is much, much harder and it's much more work when people think that everything outside of them is impacting how they feel. That's why it's really beautiful and it's almost like cheating to get to work with people who are who have that internal locus of control because you can make such rapid change because they take ownership and responsibility and they know that if they can change what's going on internally for them, their whole external world will change.
1: Like, I mean, I've I've talked about this so much on the show, but ownership is like the cheat code for life. Yeah. I really think that like when you start to take ownership of your life, you literally take permission away from anyone else to give you like just anybody for you to experience whatever you want. Every single tool in the toolbox becomes an asset. Like you become your biggest asset when you take complete ownership of your life. And it is just mind blowing to me. And I, and I hope everybody listening, you listening to Aaron here, I hope you recognize the tools that are available when you truly take ownership of your life. This is lifestyle design. This is actually reality creation, reality debunking, if I, if you would, Aaron. Like, I mean, you, you're literally taking off lenses and choosing which ones you want to wear, and you can wear different lenses at different points. The second you realize that the ones you had on didn't fit for fuck, didn't fit for size,
3: almost <laughs> dropped, almost dropped the
1: f bomb because I'm getting really into this. But like, almost fit for size. Like you can just switch them out as much as you want, and I think that's a really beautiful way to live.
2: I think I think something important to touch upon here and to remind people of is you know there's so many brilliant experts out there and you talk about lifestyle by design and lifestyle creation and so often we can get overwhelmed with all of the incredible advice and all of the things we're supposed to do from the hour of meditation to the exercise to now you're exercising you need to do the stretching and the supplements you need to take in order to keep your mind healthy and then you got to act this way to have really good communications and it can be overwhelming Right. Sometimes to to feel like these are all of the things that I need to do to create an incredible life. And one of the things that I like to share with people is that it can be really beautiful sometimes to pause the addition of more and more and more, learning more, and this is how I have to do, and this is how I have to think, and focusing on subtracting mm. the barriers and the hurdles yeah. and the things that that get us stuck and and we've found that you can have incredible success through subtraction. So a lot of times you've worked so hard and you've read the books and you've learned so much and you don't necessarily need more information to be happier. You don't need more information to be successful. Sometimes it's about simply subtracting the barriers and the roadblocks or kind of ripping off the invisible balls and chains that you're trying to move forward with. And you can have success through subtraction and creating simplicity. Because sometimes we just have these these, um, barriers in our way. And we think if we just learn more and do more, that that will be better and we can create what we want. And I invite people to imagine what it might be like if they paused for a bit and started to subtract some of the gunk and some of the head trash and some of the old negative ways of thinking and how freeing it can be. Like if you were to get rid of the noise and the judgments and the worries and the guilt and the anxieties and you cleared those out of your head. Like you subtracted those, how empowering that can feel and and how much stronger you can feel and how you can take everything that you've learned and move forward with it instead of trying to dump more stuff into an already noisy anxious
1: mind. Yeah. I mean, and it's almost like you're, you're unbecoming or unlayering.
2: Yes. Unlearning.
1: Unlearning, right? Like you're like, you learned how to be human. You can also unlearn how to, you can unlearn all the limitations of being human and go back to being a freaking God, if you wanted like that just glides when they walk and speaks with unapologetic ease and grace. I mean, we came onto this earth with absolutely nothing but pure joy in our hearts
2: and confidence. Think about when you see a, a kid who's learning how to walk, right? And they fall, and, and okay, whatever, and and they get up, and they fall, whatever. It's just this knowing there's no judgment and there's no worry. There's no like, I'm never going to do it. It's just okay, I didn't do it, and I'm I'm just going to keep going. There's that internal confidence, that deep confidence that we. We arrive with. And I think what ends up happening is we get these layers of sediment and self doubt and judgment that get stacked on top of us. And then a lot of people try to learn how to be confident, but it's already inside of you. Sometimes it just takes sweeping away of those layers of the dirt and the sediment and the worry and clearing those off and subtracting them to get back to the confidence that's already inside of you.
1: So, okay, let's say you remove all that, right? Now it seems I'm- like. The only thing left to do is trust, trust, whatever's there,
3: Mm. like,
1: which is a hard thing to do for a lot of people if they've never done that. Right. Like, so like if somebody steps away and they, let's say they clear out all this amazing, like all this, this layers of these plebeian like humans that we walk around being with limitations. And now we're back to square one where like, let's say if I didn't have that belief that I'm not good enough, what do you replace it with?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You well, you get to choose. And what's exciting is when you take away that lens of I'm not good enough, suddenly everything that you experience as you go through your day, it shows up different. Things show up different and you start to build a new type of confidence. So when someone hangs up on you, for example, and you don't have the belief I'm not good enough, it doesn't occur to you that you're not good enough. You just go, oh, they must have been in a bad mood and you just move on with your day. So events start to occur to you in totally different ways. And once you clear out the beliefs, that's when things like affirmations and visualizations, meditation and priming your brain, that's when you start introducing them. If you try and walk around telling yourself, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, but you have a belief deep down that you're not, good luck trying to override it. Now you clear out that belief, you start introducing positive statements that really fire you up and feel in alignment with where you want to go, they can take seed. They can, you know, and they can start growing.
1: Yeah, well, you're just you just made me realize that it's almost like right now we're all underwater. We're all underwater by the beliefs, the stories, the the lenses that we're that were created before we had an understanding of how to swim. Therefore, we are we've been drowning, not even realizing we're underwater. But then you do this work where instead of trying to add, 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 you subtract, you start to challenge those beliefs. You start to get curious about where they come from. Think about alternative interpretations, free yourself from the shackles of them. And then you slowly begin to come closer and closer and closer to almost like ground zero. And now you're like, at, like, you're just like at a, at a, at a, on a fresh bed of soil, like with no plants you're clear. You're clear. And so like even now, if you encounter something that that's scary or encounter something that causes those emotional responses, you're better equipped to handle those things in real time because you're not underwater anymore. Like you're not held back by the, the child, the, the, the harmless child that just didn't know any better. Now you're actually walking around like a like an adult. That that now has these tools and the awareness to then replace it and add on all these amazing habits and beliefs and and things that excite us to be more. And it just it feels
2: that's freedom. It is. You're, you have choice. Yeah. You're not locked in a box. You you don't respond in a certain way. You know, if someone snubs you, it's not like, Oh, I'm awful. I knew it. That's proof. You know, you're, you don't get caught in these loops of behavior and loops of ways of thinking anymore. You're free. And every time something happens, if someone snubs you, it's like, Hmm, what do I want to think about this situation? You're at choice. You're at choice. And that is freedom.
1: I like that. When you're at choice, you're at freedom. Freedom's power. Freedom is delicious. I like that word, delicious. I've used that like six times on this episode. Like, I don't know why. It's just a damn good word to describe all the work you're doing. Like, it's just great. I love it. I love it. Talk to me about like. I guess like when you get good at this, just being able to subtract. Do you do you do this on yourself? Like, like I guess like because like. I mean, I'm not gonna pretend like I get like when you logically get something, like you start to notice the patterns as you start doing it. But yeah, um, yeah. you know, a trick of the mind cannot beat a trick of a mind. You know what I mean? Like so, yes like, yes. like like so like how do you Yeah, I guess how do you catch your own bullshit as you're moving through life?
2: One of the most frustrating aspects of this work is my continued inability to do it on myself. Because we've talked about the reticular activation system, right? Like these beliefs kind of create these walls around us and it's really hard for us to see on the other side. It's so easy to see someone else's yep. and to work with them. And yet we, it, by, by nature, our beliefs are hard to shake. Like I said, with the red car, like it, we don't want it to be easy to change our beliefs. Otherwise we'd be walking around in complete and total confusion because we'd be changing what we believe to be true every three minutes. Yeah. So by default, by nature, it's hard for us to change our own beliefs. I know some people who can do it to themselves. Sometimes they'll, they'll do it like by writing it out. I have a really strong mind that tries to argue and hold on and cling to every belief. And so I actually do need someone else to help me through the process of it. That being said, I think it really is an individual thing. I may have the belief that, I can't do it on my own. <laughs> maybe I need to work on that. You know, that could literally be, there you go. That's meta, fun, right? But
1: that's meta. Yes. Like that's like, that's a thing. Like it's hard. I think this is why I've found so much power, like in just having either people call me out on my bullshit, coaches to call me out on my bullshit or trusted advisors and friends can call me out when I'm not living to maybe, maybe that, that maybe that, that variable is choice when you are not living in choice or when you have I guess one man's one man's fear, one man's trash is another man's treasure. My trash may look like treasure for you, right? And it's I guess that's that's what we're all here to just we're all here to help each other walk. We're just walking each other home. That's what we're all doing in life. We all know how to go home, but sometimes it's a lot of fun to just walk with people and hold hands and be all la di da and just (laughs) like point each other out, like, "Hey, look at your bullshit! Look at your bullshit!" and just walk each other home.
2: You know what the question is though? Like what everything comes down to? Cause you're like one man's trash, another man's treasure. And do I want to get rid of this? Should I work on this? How do I know what to work on? The question people just need to be asking themselves is, does it work? Does it work? Does it work for me? Right? Because what works for me may not work for you. We may not want to get rid of the same beliefs. And does it work for me now? Because where I was a year ago is totally different than where I am today. So does this work for me now? That's a question you can ask about your relationships. You can ask about how you work. You can ask it about your, the emotions that you feel as you go through each day, the thoughts that are going through your head, how you're showing up as a partner or a friend or a spouse or an employee or an employer. Does it work for me now? And that makes us get brutally honest with ourselves. Because sometimes, sometimes things change. and What worked for us a year ago won't work. Is not working for us currently? And when we ask ourselves that question, we get really painfully honest with ourselves and we listen to our knowing. Does this work? Is this working for me? That's what allows us to go, you know what? You know what? This is not. And that's where we can start going and playing in the playground of beliefs. If something's not working for us and we're getting stuck in it and it's a pattern, Let's try playing with the beliefs and see you know, if we can find the ones that are keeping us stuck in that loop and clearing them out so that we can get to a place where it does work for us.
1: What are some of the most powerful questions that you've seen asked or you ask yourself, or you maybe ask your clients to help them accelerate the journey to getting to that point?
2: It's interesting because I think the two big ones are the ones that we've actually talked about today. Does this work or is it working? I mean, that one question just like can hit like at a, at a visceral level.
3: Yeah.
2: And when you have to be honest with yourself, like when you have to be honest about it with relationships or with work, like is it working? That's a big question. And then the other question is when someone's like, I keep doing this, I keep I'm stuck. I don't I don't know why this is happening, and it's the simple question of what would you have to believe to be true to keep experiencing that? I ask myself that question Ooh, like 10 that times question. a day. 10 times a day. That's my When I give talks, when I go to conferences, that's the million dollar question. What would I have to believe to be true in order to keep experiencing this? So for example, there was a a friend of mine and she just, she had no boundaries. Someone would be like, can you come over and help me? She'd be like, oh, well, it's 1130 at night, but okay. Or her boss would tell her to do something. And no matter what it was, she'd just say, yes. And can I do more? And people took advantage of her. And it was not serving her. It was not working. It was, it was making her absolutely miserable, but she couldn't stop. She couldn't say no. There were no boundaries. And so the question was, is this working for you? She's like, absolutely not. This is killing me. So then the next question was, what would you have to believe to be true in order to keep experiencing this over and over again? And her eyes opened and she was like, oh my God, my needs and wants are not as important as others. And it was just, it hit her like a ton of bricks and, and it made sense. Someone who believes that their needs and wants are not as important as others are always going to say yes whenever they're asked by anybody to do something. It's going to be really difficult for someone who's walking around with that belief to say no and to set boundaries. And it made so much sense.
1: So your friend right there wasn't yeah. aware of the choice she had.
2: She was in that box. Yeah, the box. She was, it was a compulsion. She only she was limited in the, the way that she could respond. Box. She was in her box. The so box, all man. the options outside of the box of yeah. saying no, of saying maybe next time those were not available to her because the belief boxed her into a certain way of being. And she had the compulsion of having to act that way. If she didn't, she would, she's always a choice, right? Gun to her head. So she could have said no, but when you have a belief like that, that's super strong, you experience resistance and stress and complete uh, like just discomfort whenever you try to go against it. So she could have said no, but it, she would have felt awful. Her body guilty. wouldn't
1: have agreed with it. So when you get rid of one box, do you learn skill sets or do you learn pattern recognition that allows you to, I guess, escape other boxes or, or maybe face other boxes with more grace? Like, I like when you break one box, like what's Pandora's box that just opened up? Like, cause you're not rid of all your beliefs, right? Like, like, never, I mean, well, never. you're never going to be done. There's like, just you're, I mean, that's human, but like you break one, right? Like, what does that feel like and what possibility does that create?
2: So I can tell you, we can go back to this example of my friend, right? Who, who had the belief, my, my needs and wants are not as important as others. When she, when we went in and we got rid of that belief for her, she experienced it as a massive weight off of her chest and shoulders that she felt that she had been carrying around for 30 or 40 years. So she experienced it as a physical relief. Mm. I was curious what was going to happen. And I checked in with her a couple of weeks later because I was, you know, if she didn't, I was like, I don't know if she has the skill set? Is she going to know how to say no? Is, or is this going to be a, a weird, uncomfortable space for her? But when you got, when she got rid of it, she came back a couple of weeks later and was like, it's easy. Someone asked me for something and I check in with myself and I'll just say, no, if it's not right for me. And I say, yes, if I want to help them, <laughs> there's nothing complicated. I didn't have to learn a new technique or strategy. I don't have to, there's nothing for me to do. That's it. I just literally can be that's, with, with more ease.
1: That's it. It's not complicated. That's it. When one bubble breaks, now all of a sudden when you're making it complicated, when things are hard, when you don't have what you want or things aren't in choice, you have an opportunity to ask yourself the brilliant questions that you mentioned earlier. And you have that opportunity. And whatever happens in that space can be a very beautiful thing, but that 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 was cuz like I mean there's so many beliefs in my life and everybody, I bet everybody listening to everybody's right. And it can almost be overwhelming to choose which ones like, like just, it, it can be overwhelming at times, but I guess that one example just made me realize that I don't have to get rid of all my beliefs. I just have to get rid of the ones no. that I just have to get rid of the ones that, that I feel like getting rid of in the moment.
2: We are made up of millions of beliefs. We are, bol- we are belief machines. You do, there, it is nobody's job and it should be nobody's goal to get rid of all of them. But the way to think about beliefs, again, is it's, you don't want to just go and get rid of them. What you want to do is find the areas that aren't working, find the areas of stuckness, resistance, and frustration. Pick one of them. And then you get rid of the beliefs that are holding that pattern up. So it's more of, of what, what's not working. Mm. and then figure out what beliefs and it could be could be one it could be five it could be eight but but you don't have to go around going i need to get rid of a bunch of beliefs that's that's overwhelming And i, I think it's a not not a useful way to think about it you just want to be aware of the areas that aren't serving you and the places in your life where you feel stuck and frustrated just like this my friend who was like i'm getting like run over by everybody. And it's exhausting me. And I don't want to do this or experience this anymore. So she started with that, said, this isn't working. And then we figured out what belief we needed to get rid of to change that for her.
1: You know what I love most about you? I very much appreciate how you make this like an enjoyable process almost. Like it is fun. Like becoming your best self is fun. And it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to have all of the uphill climb, right? Like it, it can be a joyful process that isn't stressful. And I just love the, the playful nature that you approach this work. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. One, and I'm very grateful to have you as a friend because I love, I love, it's inspiring. I, I, I wish personal development work. Had this level of lightness, I, I wish this was mainstream. <laughs> I wish Ooh. this level of like I like the lightness of it like it doesn't have to be this thing where you're freaking waking up at four am and like getting out there and and going uphill like it can be this thing that's it, it can be a joy to become a better you or to become the you you
2: want to be absolutely. and you know it's funny a lot of the people that we work with. Some of the, before we dive into what they say they want to show up and work on, we actually look at their beliefs around change and what we've discovered with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of high performers and people who are achievers, they've tried a lot of things that haven't worked because they've had, you know, because things don't work and they've over time formed beliefs that change must be difficult. Change must take a long time. Change can't be fun. So if you carry the, if you are carrying those beliefs into any program, any self-help tools, any personal development work, you're going to create difficulty. It's going to feel hard. So sometimes working on your beliefs around change and development can unlock every program, every conversation, every tool that you might want to work with moving forward okay. that you might invest in. Okay, I
1: thought I was done with questions, but I have another one. The Okay. What are the Holy Grail beliefs to unravel that will unravel? Like you said like change, right? A belief around change. Like, What's another one that's like a, like a, like a Hail Mary that, that literally sits underneath all of them? Like,
2: yeah. So we call these blocker beliefs. So I didn't know about them when I first started. So I would work with people. We'd go through the whole program. It would be awesome. It would rock their world. And then they'd go, I don't think it worked, or I think it was something else, or this was too good to be true, or I think it's all gone backwards. And I was like, what is going on? And so I found there's kind of like blocker beliefs that you want to get rid of first. And anything around change, whatever your beliefs are around change, change must be difficult. Change must take, change has to take a long time. Change happens for other people and not for me. I'm broken, I'm not fixable. Anything where you start to dig into how do I feel about the possibility that I could change quickly or that change could happen for me, like whatever starts popping up, the resistance change beliefs are, are big. Some of the other secondary ones are we've run into people where they were raised to believe that it's not okay to think or say anything negative. So it's almost like they were completely unable be honest or authentic about their fears or their worries or areas in their life that weren't working. And I'd ask them, you know, well, well, what scares you? Nothing. Well, how do you feel about yourself when you do this? Great. And when you have beliefs that make that literally one of our, one of our mutual friends actually had one of these and it was like, it's wrong to say anything negative about yourself. So you can't do any self-work if you're not able to look at what the darker areas Mm. are, the parts that aren't working. It was like nothing everything's fine i'm good like completely incapable of saying anything negative we've had other people where it was they were raised to believe that it was inappropriate or wrong to feel anything negative so the moment they felt sadness the moment they felt anger
1: yeah they'd shut so it down a lot of people can and that was, one. yeah
2: and then the other big one is it's not acceptable or safe to express or experience emotions hmm. that's a big one That's a really big one because if people can't tap into what they're actually feeling, everything is up here and you can't really connect to what's going on in your body and your subconscious with your feelings. Everything is intellectual. No, it's totally fine. I forgive that person. Everything is okay. And you're like a robot. You can't actually do any deep work. So being disconnected from emotions, inability to say anything uh, negative, and then beliefs around change are big ones that we always have to look at before any other work can be done. Because if you have just the belief that change must be difficult or change has to take a long time and you do all of this work and your life is so much better, but you still have those beliefs, you're going to go, this is too good to be true. This isn't real. This isn't going to last. This must be fake. And you will literally self-sabotage all of the progress that you make because underneath it all, you have the beliefs that change must be difficult and take a long time.
3: Mm.
1: So good. I love that. I mean, I just love how empowering it is to even know that, like our mind, it's like meta. There are meta beliefs, beliefs that are built on beliefs that are built on beliefs. And it's just, it's freeing to know that they're not you. I, th- I think that me is one of the biggest freeing things that I've taken away from this conversation is just that my beliefs were not created by me. They were interpreted. I made an interpretation of an event that created a belief, or I may have borrowed someone else's interpretation of an event that may have given me a belief, but they're not mine. And I think there's something really powerful and freeing about that truth. Aaron, uh, talk to the freaking world about MindFix and just, just talk. Just I, You've already talked. <laughs> have I? I mean, like this whole thing has been just a brilliant showcase of you as a, as a, as a teacher, but also as a practitioner and as a, as honestly like a guide. For people to to, to to come back to themselves. So talk to us about MindFix. Talk to us about some of the work that you're officially doing and, you know, just how anybody listening, if they wanted to get involved, reach out, send you a, a hug through the internet or, or all of the above, just lay it down on us.
2: Sure. So at the MindFix group, we work with people who are stuck or feel like they're holding themselves back. And we do a lot of work with beliefs and stories and old programming and clearing those out completely. And we also work with the subconscious mind as well. And we've, we've found like what we were talking about earlier, how if your stress bucket is maxed out and you're highly reactive and you're in fight, flight, freeze doesn't matter how much work you've done. You're still going to be really reactive and Mm -hmm. in in fear. So we combine the subconscious work with the belief and the stories and the programming work to help people uh, be able to achieve what it is they want to achieve. So people come to us and they're like, I'm stuck here and I can't get out of this loop and I can't, I don't know why I keep feeling this way. I don't know why I keep acting in this way, even though I know I'm not supposed to. People kind of bring us their wish lists of the changes they want in their lives and by the time they're done working with us, they they don't have them anymore. So we work one on one with individuals, and it is in our roadmap for down the down the road to be able to start training and teaching people how to do some of this work on themselves, so that it, uh, we go beyond just one on one work. I invite people if they're if they were interested in what they heard today to reach out to me personally. I'm Erin. E-R-I-N at mindfixgroup.com. And uh, I respond to all emails personally, every single one that I get, even though it might take a while sometimes. People can learn more about us at mindfixgroup.com. I invite people to look at our results page. It's like a 10 miles long, and it just shows people what's possible. I think so many people are stuck in the you know, this can't happen for me. And it's, it's got to take years. And I would never be able to feel this way. And I love, I love it when people go there and get a sense of possibility and can feel inspired by what other people have experienced. We also have a free one hour video training on the website that people can watch. We have a Facebook group. Uh, so over at Facebook, you can join the Mind Fix Facebook group. And then people can follow me, Erin uh, File, over on Facebook, too, because I, I still post pretty regularly there. Mm. And I, I love keeping in contact and answering questions and helping people along their journeys as they start to untangle what their thoughts and their beliefs and their emotions truly are.
1: promise, guys. Erin is just as delightful as she sounded on this interview. So if anything on this episode resonated, just send her a note. I promise you, she'll like to hear from you. Um, Aaron. I got one. And by the way, guys, you don't have to frantically write down everything. It will be in the show notes, as always. I got, an, I got a, one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everything you've done, everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded?
2: This has changed for me over the last year. My, my new way to stay grounded is to connect to other amazing human beings. I never did that before in my entire life. I had myself completely convinced that I was this introvert kind of hermit who lived up in the mountains and didn't meet other people. And in the past year, kind of late to the the party, (laughs) (laughs) but better late than never, I've learned how much I can stay grounded through connection to others.
1: Well, I'm grateful. To have you in my life, I'm grateful you chose me as one of those people to connect with. I'm just grateful for you. I'm, this was such a beautiful. I'm glad there was a damn recording button on on this conversation. I think you might have a few fans after this one. Um, but, <laughs> anyways, guys, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host Raj. This is your new friend Aaron. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat soon.